the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Ever get up from the couch after sitting for a while and get that tingling 1,000 needles at your feet feeling? For most of us, walking a bit restores circulation and the pins and needles sensation soon disappears. But now imagine living with that all the time, unending, relentless. That sensation is just one of the symptoms of neuropathy. But what exactly is neuropathy? And is there reliable treatment? Joining me is Dr. Thomas Santucci, a 27-year functional medicine physician specializing in complex cases. Dr. Santucci is the clinical director of Advanced Region Medical, a California professional medical corporation located here in the South Bay. He's also author of a new book called Constructing Medical Miracles, Return to Health Using Today's Technology. And Dr. Santucci, it's an honor and privilege to have you join us. Thank you so much, Craig. It's really great to get this message out here. Let's talk a bit about some of the basics here. I've described one of the more common symptoms of neuropathy, but on a grander scale, what exactly is peripheral neuropathy? Well, in order to understand that, you have to take the parts, the words apart. So neuro is neurologic, and pathy is a, is a problem with her condition. And the peripheral nervous system is everything that isn't the spine and the brain. So it's the nerves that come off the spine. So neuropathy is a neurologic condition where the nerve transmission to or from the brain is altered or interrupted. A lot of times it can be biochemical. It can be from trauma. It can be from um, a, a problem the inside of the nerves. Patient symptoms range from pain and numbness and tingling, like you're describing, to problems with balance and coordination. So the symptoms can run from mild to pretty severe, almost life debilitating. If you're, if for example, losing your balance all the time. Right. Exactly. When I first practiced, you know, the the word is that if you were 65 years old and you broke your hip and you fell, there would be a 30 percent chance you would die that year. Well, the number is now 40%. So the, the balance, coordination, the not falling thing has become more and more important. And especially in this age of self-reliance, where we really want people to do the part they can do themselves, this is on the patient. There's nobody that's going to teach you how to increase, increase your strength and coordination. This is something the patient has to work on an individual basis to achieve. Uh, Dr. Santucci, you made reference to this being common in older adults, but, but generally speaking, is there a particular profile of people that are impacted by neuropathy? 
Unfortunately, yes. Um, 30% of the people diagnosed with neuropathy have some kind of blood sugar problem, so it's, it's linked to the obesity epidemic. So it's 30% is linked to diabetes. There's about 24 million people suffering from peripheral neuropathy. And one of the things that's interesting, you know, heart disease and cancer are relatively constant. They haven't really gotten much worse. Well, diabetes and, and, you know, concomitant illnesses like peripheral neuropathy are getting much worse. So there's about a 180% increase in the last two decades. So as people got heavier, we got more peripheral neuropathy. One of the, the problems with it is, is that our age group, I'm almost 70, so our age group has a tendency to, one, not notice differences. It happens slowly, and um, they're not really looking for another problem that isn't old age. So a lot of peripheral neuropathy gets mislabeled as old age, and, it, and it's, a, it's an addressable condition. So I'm curious then, given the fact that this kind of creeps up slowly and is often associated or, or perhaps misassociated with maladies that are common amongst older adults, is this often difficult to identify? Is there a lot of misdiagnosis when it comes to treating neuropathy? Yes, and really underdiagnosis. So there's a lot of, well, you get that when you're your age, and so the medical presentations are, like we said, really across the board. So um, one of the problems is, is that when we begin to lose coordination, strength, really oomph, um, you know, mental capability, maybe sexual performance, all of those things get, get put in the old age bucket. And one of the things we want to do, is, you know, when we're analyzing the patient, both in the consult to hear their story, but also doing a physical exam, is we want to you know, bring it down to brass tacks on this is how this nerve works or this doesn't work. This is how strong this muscle is, and this is how much control the patient has. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about ancillary systems like the gut biome or, you know, detoxification and all of these things being mini brains. Well, the brain is the big brain. And so what we try to do is to understand how did the pathway get obstructed. So the brain gave a command and how did it not get to the feet? So what's the strength problem? What's the coordination problem? What's the interpretation of the sensation problem? The other thing, especially true in men, is that there's, there's a good deal of something called neglect. And neglect is a um, medical condition where we don't notice when things are happening. So it's a little bit of like the frog in the boiling water. You know, as long as you do it gradually, we don't really notice that we had capability taken away. And so one of the things that we invite people to do is to, to do something that you're good at, that you already know what the numbers are. So walk a half a mile and see what your time is. You know, take your blood pressure, you know, measure the strength of, of your arms and legs. And when we do that, then we get the realization of this as a medical condition and not just, you know, fall together in the old age bucket. Doctor, I want to be choose my words wisely here. I want to be respectful to your profession, but you know, truth be told, quite often in conditions like this, the tendency is to just simply throw pills at it. Meaning, if a patient comes in and they're explaining or describing certain symptoms and there's associated pain, the doctor, more often than not, sadly, just says, "Okay, here's a prescription. Go fill this, and you should be fine." But the reality is, isn't that more really masking the symptoms than treating the root cause? Right. It is part of a bigger problem that way. 
And I, I would say the new doctors are doing a better job at trying to get to the root cause, but getting to the root cause takes a lot more time and attention. One of the things in running a medical corporation that, you know, when I was pure holistic health, we didn't really use drugs. We didn't really have surgery as options. Now we can do both of those things. I'm looking at it, and a lot of these drugs like gabapentin or Lyrica or even the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, you know, like Cymbalta, are actually being used off-label. So these are drugs that are set up for seizures, fibromyalgia, shingles, even depression. And even though some of them aren't considered opioids, they can be problematic and misused, and they, there is a physical dependency if they're not taken as prescribed. So, you know, the, the issue on this is, is that in order to get to the underlying cause of a lot of these it, they're called idiopathic chronic diseases, these diseases that we are not totally sure of where they come from. There's a tendency to either just medicate them or use steroids, which, you know, not only masks the symptoms, it actually destroys the tissue, but to not take that extra step to say, you know, what's the part of the patient's lifestyle that may be contributing to this and what's the part that we can do without drugs, without surgery. Is part of this historic approach contributory to the notion, doctor, that at least historically pain associated with neuropathy was considered to be a permanent, untreatable, and therefore really only option doctors oftentimes felt they had was to throw medication at it? Yeah, I mean, I can remember in um, my first neurology class when they said, oh, you know, if you go out and you drink too much beer, you'll never get those brain cells back. But we know... Now, there's something called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and you do get those nerves back if you do the right thing. So um, a lot of what we're doing in terms of activating the nerve is going to create hormonal um, changes that can actually regenerate nerves. And so um, regenerating nerves is a slow process. As Americans, we like everything to be really fast and really obvious. These are subtle, slow changes, but even a 60-year-old can, can reverse the, the way the nerves are firing. And you're exactly right. There's this tendency, and again, it's back to this idiopathic disease, to, to say that there are certain disease conditions that are just untreatable. And it's, it's kind of strange. If you think about any other profession saying, you know, what if physicists said that about infinity? You know, like we just can't understand it. Well, the reality is we understand a lot about a lot of things when we, when we put our minds to it. So in the root cause medicine side, we kind of view it as this is a mystery to be solved. And honestly, on the stem cell side, we figured out a lot of conditions that we could, you know, you know, use regenerative medicine to get breakthroughs. Well, on this side, where we're doing the peripheral neuropathy and actually working with those peripheral nerves, we figure four or five main causes are, you know, and again, with blood sugar handling, diabetes being one but also metals and also hormonal imbalances and also trauma. When we really do the work to say, and this is in the consult, this is like talking to the patient, when we really screw it down to exactly what happened, then a lot of times we can develop a, a support plan that, that improves the patient condition. So on the, on the, you know, the, the most dramatic levels, we're trying to increase strength, decrease pain, increase coordination. But in a lot of these cases, we're, we're really reducing or we're returning the person to a vital state. So we're reducing the effects of aging and we're reducing the effects of these nerves just not doing a very good job. Our conversation with Dr. Thomas Santucci continues after this. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. Thomas Santucci. We've been talking about neuropathy, its causes, and most importantly, its treatment. Dr. Santucci, I want to pick things up where we left off just a moment ago. Now, I'm curious, from the perspective of advancements in treatment, I've got to imagine that there have also been some advancements in detection. For example, as you mentioned earlier, Dr. Santucci, oftentimes neuropathy has historically either been not diagnosed at all or perhaps misdiagnosed or limited to just throwing medication at it. So talk to our listeners about the treatment and the detection process here. In specific, I understand that you're offering a special $49 neuropathy opportunity for folks to get proper and appropriate diagnosis. Tell us more about that. Right. So one of the things that happened in my own health challenge was that I ended up with multiple concussions that they said were untreatable. And I lost IQ. I lost the ability to make decisions. I lost part of my motor control. And so I embarked on a four-year study of advanced neurology where we were studying 120 neural pathways, and we basically figured out, and this is all in the literature. This isn't like almost nothing I'm talking about is that new. It's just it's not done in conventional medicine. So the big nerves in your body give um, sensations of um, kind of where your body is. So neuroproprioception it's called. So the awareness of, of body position. So neuroproprioception is these big nerves, and they're tested different than the small nerves, which are pain nerves. And so vibration sense is one of the first sensations to be lost with peripheral neuropathy. The other thing is you can test each spinal level. So the spinal nerve roots come out at specific levels, and one controls the flexion of your arm, the other extension, the other, you know, uh, your grip strength, the other finger to thumb. So we can actually go in and test individual nerve roots one by one by one and actually figure out, is it the same on both sides, so it's maybe metabolic? Is it individual on one side, so it may be traumatic? Is it something that is affecting the whole body, so it may be a, a poisoning situation like with metals or that kind of thing? And is it making skin changes, so it might be diabetic or, or um, pharmaceutical-related? So we kind of view the, the whole consultation um, exam as a mystery, and each person has a different answer. Well, and after doing it for 25 years, we kind of have a set number of answers, but nobody's individual answer is the same because we all have different life experiences. So what we do is we, we get the patient and we understand what their background is. If it's a plumber that's been dealing with lead, we're going to go that way. If it's a teacher that, you know, has just read books and hasn't had the exposure to those kind of things, we're more going to go metabolic. If it's a person that has cardiac problems, we're going to look at the fuel and oxygen being a problem. But it's very much a detective um, and in an individual kind of a, a determination. So having done functional medicine for 25 years, and we're, we've, we've kind of made a commitment to restore that. We're looking at our clinic being the, the clinic that provides the answers, the clinic that does the deeper work. So not just in the neuropathy world, but we're looking at it across the board in the functional medicine world. So today, we're specifically talking about neuropathy and those interventions. But in general, we think, you know, there's a whole uh, group of doctors that are kind of doing the deeper analysis. And, and we hope to be a representative of that kind of thinking. 
So it sounds like ultimately people don't have to live with neuropathy as they have historically. Is this where the $49 neuropathy special begins on that road to recovery for patients? Right. What we wanted to do is just make it easy. So, um, you know, information without action is kind of a waste of everybody's time. So understanding that you can naturally reduce neuropathy symptoms is kind of the first step. Understanding that there's an ABC kind of analysis program that is kind of the next step. And then understanding that there's treatments that are non-invasive that work really well, have good science behind them, and are... um, you know, um, kind of a rational way to deal with this is kind of the third level. So a lot of this is what you do. You know, a lot of this is the communication because if somebody said 10 years ago, could we reverse the symptoms of peripheral neuropathy? I would say no, that we could not reliably do it. And it's really just the newer technology and really the application of the neural um, examination and consultation that allow us to be successful in this area. People, I would imagine, are wondering of themselves at this juncture in our conversation. Okay, Dr. Santucci, I understand all that, but as the old saying goes, the proof is in the pudding. What kind of results are you seeing with your patients that have undergone diagnosis and treatment? And and can you maybe share an example or two, doctor, where you've really seen patients uh, be able to come off of medication and find a sense of renewed health and longevity again? Right. So, again, when we go back to the root cause, a lot of times we have a blood sugar handling problem. And, you know, it almost gets into, okay, so what can you do about type 2 diabetes? What can you do about, you know, side effects from, let's say, a statin drug? Or what can you do about, you know, post-chemotherapy damage? And in all of those cases, we do attempt to work with the initial provider and reduce or eliminate the drugs that the patient is on you know, up to the extent of, of it being, you know, medically indicated. A lot of times people are on medications that the risk-reward doesn't really serve the patient. And so we're going to question that with the patient's provider. And a, a lot of times they're anxious to actually get a non-drug answer to these, to these things. So getting that initial diagnosis right is really a thing. We've We've had patients that, you know, come in on, you know, obviously wheelchairs and walkers, but we've had people come in on gurney that we had walking in about eight weeks. Um, by doing the neural rehab, by using the, um, the, the advanced electronic treatments on the nerves, we, we have an edge up. By doing the lifestyle changes, which is a lot of it's nutrition and some of it's detoxification, we can get a reverse. I'd say the most dramatic um, thing we've done this year is we had a patient that literally could not stand. We had to crawl all the time. He actually ate food off the floor, you know, off a plate on the floor because he wouldn't lift his body up. Well, um, he's in Oregon now, and I think he works for, you know, one of the big box chains, you know, um, has a salesman now. He has a normal life. Um, you know, in general, we're measuring, so in our regular consult and, and exam, we're measuring strength and range of motion for the upper body and the lower body. As part of our treatment, we measure that three times. And so then we get a percentage change. We get real statistics on the improvement in the upper body and the lower body. Our average range of motion, um, I just did these statistics for last year, and um, the lowest improvement that we got was 17%. And these people are an average of 70 years old. The highest we got was 180%. And the average was about 70% change. 
And if you just sit back for a minute or stand back for a minute and you say, wow, get a 70-year-old, go to a gym and tell them you'll give them any amount of money to make you 70% stronger, um, no gym will take you up on that because it's not considered possible. And that's average. And so when we get very dedicated people and also very sick people, we get those higher percentages. In general, we view that most people aren't being given a chance to really change because there isn't a, you know, again, we're not using drugs and surgery, which are the main tools in Western medicine right now. So we're taking much more of a, you know, regenerate the nerve and rehab the patient's system, which takes an understanding and a belief in advanced rehab protocols. And, you know, this is something I believe strongly in. That if you look at every complex problem, it's going to have a physical part of it, and it's going to have a biochemical part, a neurologic part, and an energetic or a, a neuropsychological part. One of the things we see, mostly because it's an, it's an older group of people, there's a lot of lifestyle turndown. There's a lot of attitude that doesn't really match the way the person perceives themselves, and there's a lot of you know, beginning, you know, borderline depression. So we see when we fix those peripheral nerves, when we get that biochemistry intact, when we get the neurology firing right, we get a general elevation in the vitality of the patient. We get the person beginning to live the life and, and sort of going back to the activities that are important to them. You know, the cliche is that now you can play with your grandkids, but, you know, a lot of times it's the person can resume their, their social life. They can have their hobbies. They can play golf again. We have a lot of returning to golf people, but also a lot of people that can just dress themselves without pain. A lot of people that, you know, feel more in control and don't feel so, you know, put down by the, 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 the you know, negative parts of aging. Finally, doctor, a lot of folks I would imagine are questioning themselves and, well, it sounds like this is a recent development when it comes to health care. What if the question related to insurance coverage? Right. So um, this is a recent development, but it has a long history. So this goes back about 80 years to, you know, like a TENS machine, which is a really basic electronic signal, to interferential, to more like the plasma rife um, uh and PMS energy forms. So because this has such a broad uh, history and, and, you know, understandable method of action, it is reimbursed by Medicare and some insurance companies. So that's something that we can look into on an individual basis for people. It's interesting, as of January 1st, Medicare coverage got restated and really did a good job in addressing this kind of technology. So people with Medicare A and B and the supplemental usually um, have this entire um, program paid for. Unfortunately, the um, Advantage plans don't cover it. So we're looking to, to kind of reach out to them to see if they can extend their coverage to also um, you know, cover the, this kind of work. And finally, Doctor, folks would like to take advantage of the $49 neuropathy special. Tell us how they can get in touch with you. Well, so... In the $49 special, we set up a special 800 number, which is really an 855 number. So it's 855-GOT-PAIN, G-O-T-P-A-I-N. And what that'll do is it'll hook you into a switchboard, and we have four different offices in the peninsula area, the San Francisco peninsula area. So um, we're everywhere from Movado to Campbell. And what that does is it enables it when you actually get the therapy, you can go to an office that's relatively close to you. 
So if you call that number, 855-GOT-PAIN, then that'll begin the, the journey. And we'll set up a consult and an evaluation. We'll go through your x-rays. We'll go through your medical records. And we'll develop a program just for you. Again, to get more information about the special offer that Dr. Santucci mentioned just a moment ago, call toll-free 855-GOT-PAIN. That's 855-GOT-PAIN. Or you can go online to bayareaneuropathy.com. That's bayareaneuropathy.com. When you call, be sure to ask about the $49 neuropathy special. Call today toll-free 855-GOT-PAIN. That's 855-G-O-T-P-A-I-N or on the web at bayareaneuropathy.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, you look at the headline news of the last, my goodness, six, eight months or so, and it just seems like no matter where you turn, we're seeing incidences of racial unrest, (laughs) massacres in churches, economic imbalance, social strife, on and on the list goes. Hard sometimes, perhaps, to see hope and justice and reconciliation in the midst of this turmoil. A lot of people, I think, have concluded that we're, if not in, we're certainly rapidly heading toward the end days. And meanwhile, we wonder, well, what does that mean for us from a faith perspective? How can we better find places in which not only God is working to bring about healing and restoration, but most importantly, feel as if the work, the job that we do is significant toward that end. Warren Smith joins us now, Vice President of World News Group, and perhaps you are a subscriber to his wildly popular World Magazine. He's authored more than 10 best-selling books, including the most recent, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And Warren, great to have you on the program. Great, great to be on with you. Thank you so much. It is hard sometimes not to be discouraged, and just as we sort of uh, reach the point that we seemingly have processed the significance of yet another major negative news event, uh, sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, here comes one more. And I think for a lot of people, not only do you kind of get a sense that your your, your hope meter is, is wearing out in all of this, but that you're, you're wondering, well, where exactly is God in all of this? And, and is there any hope in which I can play some kind of small role in engaging in some kind of significant, important change in our society today? Well, you're exactly right, Craig. And, you know, it, it, you don't have to look any farther than the headlines. That's exactly right to see um, bad news. I mean, the Supreme Court rulings have been really discouraging to a lot of Christians. Uh, we see ISIS uh, just murdering Christians all over the Middle East. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, there's plenty of reason uh, to... Um, to say uh, that we live in serious times, but uh, we, uh, as Christians, are not allowed to despair. Despair is a sin. Uh, despair means we've given up hope, and of course, Christians of all people should be people of hope. Uh, faith, hope, and love, Jesus, or, or uh, the Bible says, not Jesus per se, but the Bible says, are the, the three chief Christian virtues. And so that's one of the reasons why John Stone Street and I I wanted to write this book, Restoring All Things, because as we have been looking out at the world at all these negative uh, stories, we've also been been seeing something just quite remarkable, and that has been God's people doing God's work in the midst of all the chaos that's going on around us. And when God's people do that, when God's people just don't get distracted and continue to engage in God's work, which is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and 
loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's amazing what's happening. We've seen communities transformed. We've seen lives rebuilt. We've seen entire cities uh, transformed, as, as in the case of Atlanta or Detroit. Um, uh, Atlanta, an organization called SCS or the Ministries, and in Detroit, a ministry called Emmanuel Temple, which are two organizations that we profile in Restoring All Things. So we wanted to tell some of those stories because we felt like Christians did need some hope in the midst of these chaotic times. So at the end of the day, is it less about the news events and more about perspective? And I, and I asked that question because, you know, when we were kids, uh, we all were raised in school to uh, to master the three basic R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Something always told me that one of those words, at least, was misspelled. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But from, from, a, from a Christian perspective, there's another set of three R's that I think we can't forget that, in fact, is foundational to our very faith, which is what leads me to this question about perspective, and that is another set of three R's, redemption, reconciliation, and restoration, which is foundational to God's plan for not only mankind here on earth, but certainly the role that that, uh, that Christ played in world history. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right. You know, in fact, I'm glad you brought up those three R's, because there are, in fact, many more than those three R's in Scripture. We, in fact, we begin, near the beginning of the book, we talk about the rewords of Scripture, and you've mentioned three of them uh, there. Uh, too often, however, Christians focus on another set of R's, which are words like rebuke and resist and uh, engage in those activities that um, are trying to hold back the tide of chaos. Whereas uh, I think if we focus more on the three R's that you mentioned, R's like reconciliation and restoration and redemption, uh, we, we become people who um, not only are actively engaged in the work that God is calling us to do, this, this activity of, of restoring all things to himself, but we are also presenting a witness to the world that I think they will find compelling. You know, it's, it's one thing um, to say that Jesus saves, and Jesus uh, transforms, and Jesus redeems. But if our lives don't show that, Craig, it's, that argument is not convincing. That declaration of the gospel, however true, is not convincing. But whenever we are actively engaged in the process of reconciliation, not only are we declaring the gospel, but we are demonstrating the gospel in our lives. And I think that's a much more convincing proclamation of the gospel. Well, in many respects, too, don't we find that message uh, far more impactful in the middle of chaos? And, and I ask that question because, you know, let, let's use the example of the lives of any of us. If we pause for a moment and think, you know, if, if you were doing well, you married the perfect wife or husband, you had the perfect job. You had the perfect amount of money in the bank. You have perfect health. Uh, all of it. A lot of people could argue. Well, you know, for what do I really need God here? At least on Earth. I mean, yeah, that fire insurance thing on the other side. Yeah, that works out okay. But here, in the here and now, I'm doing pretty well. But for most of us, our testimony is that in the midst of the pain, the agony, the chaos, when our life seemed to be falling apart uh, right before our eyes, there stepped in God with a message of healing and reconciliation and redemption. And so. Oftentimes, doesn't God work best in the middle of the chaos that sometimes we as Christians try to push back against and prevent from happening? And I wonder if sometimes we might accidentally be short-circuiting God's plan, because in the midst of that chaos, doesn't His grace shine the brightest? 
Well, I, all I can say to that, Craig, is amen and well said. Uh, you know, and, and, and throughout history, I think not only in our own individual lives, which you've just identified, but throughout history, we have found the Christian church thriving whenever the world around it was in chaos. We tell stories, for example, uh, from the second and third century, whenever the great plagues, um, uh, diseases were just just ravaging cities, and people were running out of the cities uh, into the rural areas just to keep themselves away from danger and disease. But it was the Christians who ran into the cities to care for the sick and the dying, many times sacrificing their own lives in that process. But it was such a powerful witness that we saw Christianity spread dramatically in the second and third centuries. Uh, Even recently in the Ebola epidemic that we saw in Africa, uh, I was amazed at the doctors that that, um, got Ebola and that were put into the quarantine, and a couple of them even died as a result of their work there. And whenever I found out about their biographies, one doctor after another, one healthcare worker after another, were committed Christians working in that environment because they were motivated by the love of Christ and love for their neighbor. So this has been the story of the Christian church. I think it's a story that we sometimes do tend to forget in our prosperity here in America, but uh, it's one that we need to remember. Well, especially since at the core, if we talk about this from the, the viewpoint of it being a message of redemption, it suggests that there needs to be something from which one is being redeemed, does it not? Yeah. I mean, yeah, is, is, the, is the message of heaven all that powerful a one, uh, absence the existence of hell? I, I, would, I would suggest probably not. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, the great theologian F.F. F. Bruce, Bruce once said that uh, the, an, an understanding of sin is the beginning of salvation. And, uh, you know, it's important that we do um, understand that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and it's it's awful also easy for us christians to get a little self-righteous about where we sit versus our neighbor but you know our neighbor jesus died for our neighbors even the one the neighbor that we don't like you know just as much as jesus died for us so i think that um, you know what you just said there is such a powerful component of this whole uh, understanding of a christian worldview which is that we do live in a fallen world but that god loves us so much that he sent his son and when we accept him as Savior and are redeemed from our own sins, we get to participate with him in this process that uh, the New Testament describes as restoring all things uh, to its former glory. No, I, I wonder out loud if sometimes maybe this is not a, an example of um, spiritual laziness, maybe even a little bit of spiritual haughtiness, um, that sense of reveling in the bunker mentality that, well, everybody's against me, woe is me, look the way that they're attacking me, and so uh, we're doing uh, perhaps a yeoman's job at playing the victim here, um, and so maybe some people sort of revel in all of that as opposed to saying, look, in the midst of all this turmoil, we got some work to do, and uh, in the midst of this turmoil, God can do some amazing things in terms of extending that message of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration in and through me. We'll talk about that as our conversation continues. Warren Smith, Vice President of World's News Group, publisher of World Magazine, author of more than a dozen best-selling books. We're talking about uh, finding God's redemption in the midst of a chaotic world. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Warren Smith, our guest today, Vice President of World News Group. He publishes World Magazine. He's the author of more than 10 best-selling books, including the most newly released, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And maybe one of the big operative words in that book title, Warren, is Everyday People. We look, as we intimated at the beginning of our conversation, at the headlines and what's going on in terms of racial unrest, economic imbalance, social strife, all of this taking place. It's it's hard, obviously, uh, and frustrating for a lot of people. And then to maybe overwhelming in the sense that people feel as if, well, you know, they'd like to be involved in being an agent of change and, and affecting God's plan for re- uh, redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. But maybe they feel like, well, as overwhelming as all this is, though, isn't my work largely going to be for naught and, and, and ultimately insignificant? Well, you know, it's a really great question, and that's why we wanted to tell stories of everyday people, as you said, uh, Craig. You know, uh, John Stone Street, uh, my co-author, uh, works a lot with Eric Metaxas uh, on the Breakpoint Radio uh, program. Eric has written books, uh, uh, biographies of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and William Wilberforce, who ended the slave trade uh, in Britain in the 19th century. And it's easy to look at these great heroes of history and say, gee, I'm just little old Warren Smith. You know, I'm not uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer or, or um, Eric McTaxis even. Uh, so what can I do? And what we discovered in, in our searching around for stories and the stories that we reported in the book uh, were stories of, of individuals not doing great things, but doing small but really important things that had an impact over time. I'll give you a real quick example, and that is, look at the life movement in this country, the pro-life movement in this country. Um, Roe v. Wade happened in 1973, 1.3, 1.4 million abortions in this country per year at the peak back a number of years ago. But what we what has turned the tide, If you today, abortions, the number of abortions are going down, the younger generation is more pro-life than its parents, that's what public opinion surveys tell us. How did that happen? And, and a part of the reason uh, it happened was because of the pregnancy care center movement in this country. In thousands of communities all across America, uh, men and women have gotten together just to help other men and women in their local communities. Uh, th- this movement has sprung up spontaneously. It wasn't uh, a top-down movement. There wasn't somebody in Washington, D.C. or New York City or wherever saying, we, we need to go uh, form 2,000 pregnancy care centers all across America. And yet, when we look, you know, 20 or 25 years after that movement started, that's exactly what we what we have. It's it's Christians imitating other Christians doing good work, which has caused the pregnancy care center movement to spread across this country and has created what we like to call this army of compassion that, that says to the world, you know, Christians are willing to put their money where their mouth is. Yes, they uh, they are engaged in pro-life activism. They are in, maybe engaged even in protests from time to time. But that's not all they do. They are also really caring uh, for men and women in crisis situations every single day in thousands of communities across America. It's made a huge difference in the life uh, issue in this country. And I think that kind of a movement could make a difference with poverty. It could make a difference with marriage. Uh, and uh, we, the good news is we do have that one model. Uh, the other news, I won't call it bad news, but I'll call it the other news, is that we still have a whole lot of work to do. Well, and you know what strikes me about even that example that you just shared, Warren, um, many people have often heard the story that from space, one of the more spectacular man-made um, edifices or, or uh, items that can be seen 
from space is the Great Wall of China. And it is from photographs that perhaps you've seen, an amazing sight to behold from so many miles up. And there you can very clearly make out the wall snaking its way uh, through that section of China. What's ironic about this, uh, that is, having seen the wall, been on it, walked on it, uh, it it is enormous. It is breathtaking. It is an incredible uh, work of, of feat, to be sure. But you know what it's made up of? Individual small bricks. Yep. Any one of yep. those bricks by and of themselves would not even be a speck on planet Earth that could be identified from space. But all of those bricks assembled together creates this incredible edifice that has such an Im- impact that it can be seen from space. And, it, and it, it, it dawns on me, Warren, that much the same is true of our efforts here, that you know, none of us singularly are going to calm racial unrest or uh, you know, bring about uh, fairness in, in economics or uh, settle social strife of an, uh, singularly on our own. But together, Doing a lot of small things together can really equal doing something great and tremendous that can have unbelievably large and eternal impact, can it? Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, the thing that we do doesn't even have to require a lot of time, money, and energy. At the end of Restoring All Things, both John Stone Street and I tell a story out of our own lives that kind of make the point of the book. John tells a remarkable story of when he was a high, in high school. Uh, he uh, had, it, really because he'd been cutting up in school, his teacher made him visit an older woman, what we used to call a shut-in, uh, and uh, as punishment for cutting up in class. But So John visited this woman, who at that time was in, uh, probably seemed ancient to John, was in her 70s or even early 80s, and they just spent 30 minutes together, maybe an hour together. And John saw this woman a couple of years later, and, and John said, do you remember who I am? And the woman said, I have been praying for you every day since we first met. And that just, the woman's praying for him and then telling John that she had been doing that, that she cared enough about him to pray for him every day. John will tell you today that that changed the trajectory of his life. In my own life, I've got a story of my father who served in Korea. He was not a Christian believer whenever he was a 21-year-old infantryman on Heartbreak Ridge in Korea, but a Salvation Army worker whose name my father does not know, whose name is completely lost to history, uh, ministered to my father at a time of great need in his life. My father didn't become a Christian until 10 or 15 years later, but he always remembers the the act of compassion by this unnamed Salvation Army worker has been having been a defining experience in his life in leading him ultimately to Christ, which of course changed the trajectory of my life and my children's lives. We don't know how God is going to use our availability. Uh, It's not about our ability, as the old saying goes, but it truly is about our availability. Our job, our goal, our responsibility is just to be obedient and to let the Holy Spirit work from there. And I I think that... uh, great things will happen. In the Absolutely. World. And of course, through that act of obedience, Warren can come uh, God executing on his plan for redemption, reconciliation and restoration. Warren Smith, again, the book is called Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People, newly released by Baker Books and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and also through their website at restoringallthings.org. That's restoringallthings.org. And our thanks to Warren Smith for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.